Sometimes the powers that be won't help us. Sometimes they even hurt us. In those times, we rely on those who, even when powerless, have the clarity to see the truth and the courage to speak it. Y'all listening to Old Timey Crappy, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your hosts, Christy and Scott. It's Old Timey Crimey! I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are here! <laughs> that is what can be said of us. We are here in this room together. Yay! <laughs> so how's everybody's week going? Going great. Wonderful. How's yours? Fantastic. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> well, I'm going to Florida tomorrow and you guys are going to get hit with a whole shit ton of snow, so... You bitch! <laughs> <laughs> also getting the middle finger because, uh, just so you know, I'll narrate Amber's uh, obscene gestures. <laughs> Fuck. Oh. Just for three days, and then I'm going to come back, and it's going to be freezing cold, and it will somehow be worse because I've been in a warm place. So that's how that's going to work. I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to come back and be like, son of a bitch, it's like twice as cold as it would have been normally. Yeah, you can go to a warm place. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm excited about that. Nervous about the flying, but I have my medication for that. So I'll uh, I'll, I'll get all dosed up and, uh, and... Maybe have a drink, too. <laughs> it's not great, but it helps. So, so yeah, and it's not a long flight. So, very excited. Been looking forward to this for, for a while. And, uh, and yeah, so that's that's my life right now, is uh, looking forward to traveling slash being somewhat nervous about it. <laughs> well, Christy's life is better than mine, so. <laughs> <laughs> I win, maybe? Yes, yes, you're going to Florida. The only way you don't win is if it's like Trailer Park, Florida. But I've seen the place you're staying at. It's not Trailer Park, Florida. Definitely not Trailer Park. Kind of, kind of a mansion. Yeah, <laughs> I say that quietly. They're ashamed. No, there is, there is definitely coke there. I've seen pictures. <laughs> you will find coke there. <laughs> if not coke, residue. <laughs> I like to think that it would be something classier than coke, like absinthe. Yeah, maybe the Green Fairy. Yeah, I've had <laughs> absinthe once. We had it, and I just, I don't like black licorice, so yeah. it therefore it did not really fly with me. Tastes like anus. <laughs> the, I know, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right, well, this week we are delving into the Wineville Chicken Coop murders. This is kind of a, a big one. It has a lot of threads you know, and in, in, in sort of like timelines running concurrently, it's it's it was very, really interesting to, to put together. So. This is definitely one of the ones you have to put up on a board and have different colored <laughs> string going everywhere to push pins. I was tempted. Which sucks because I'm colorblind, so it's just me sitting there going like, yes, gray string. <laughs> Everything is connected. I feel like we should do it just to harass Scott. <laughs> Look at our chart, it's color coded. <laughs> do you see the connections between this and this and this? Oh, oh, you don't? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So this, um, it kind of started in uh, around 1924. Gordon Stewart Northcutt. He moved with his family, his parents, from British Columbia to Los Angeles. So that's quite the change. <laughs> Speaking of weather changes, yeah. there's one. Gordon Stewart Northcutt. Doesn't it sound like that should be a NASCAR driver? It does. Or he should be a barrister in England. Yes. The, the three names. Or... A serial killer. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Good news. You found one of the three dream jobs. Yeah, the ones that line up with your name. 
So he was 17 years old at this point, and then two years later, in 1926, so he, he was 19. No, he was 17 when they moved. No, 17, but then two years later, and he was, he was 19. 19. Yes. Scott can do math. <laughs> Basic math. Good job, Scott. Yeah. Pat on the head. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1926, he gets his dad to buy him a plot of land. He wants to build a chicken ranch there. Um, and uh, so his dad and his nephew, uh, a young teenager um, named Samford Clark, he was in his young, young teenage years there, and I believe he would have been... 13, I want to say. Yes. Um, help him build the house and the, the, the farm and the, the chicken coop and everything. And he gets going. And um, he b specifically gets Sanford to the U.S. because Sanford was actually living in, in Canada by telling San Sanford's parents that he needs him to help with the building and to do, you know, basically be like, you know, free hired hand, room and board. And, you know, this was the 1920s when it really wasn't unheard of to go, you know, somewhere else to do work at the age of 13 or so. I've got a farm to build. You've got a fuck trophy that I can use as slavery. Let's make this work. <laughs> Essentially, yes. So this farm is, as you might have guessed from the name of the very murders we're talking about, around Wineville, California. And if you look for it on a map, you will not find it. It no, no longer exists because of everything that is about to happen. Everything's so horrendous, we have to pretend our town doesn't exist anymore. Yes, we have to literally rename the town to remove the stain of, of horribleness. I'm of honestly surprised. There are a lot of reservoirs in that area. I'm honestly kind of surprised... They didn't just fucking dig the town out and bury it underwater. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, they they did that in my hometown. They they, the town of Kinzu. Bless you. They did that in my hometown. The town of Kinzu was uh, completely just everybody was moved out, and they, they they literally there was a Native American burial ground there, and they had to I, like it's in the historical records. It's not some local legend. Um, they moved everything, all of that out, and it replaced it all, filled it in with water, and that's the Kinzu Dam, which keeps Pittsburgh from flooding every every year, which it was doing at that point in time. There's a town close to where I live called Somerton. Somerton now exists in the bottom of the Yakagani Dam. There you go, yeah. Same yeah. thing. And every once in a while, it's really cool, whenever the Yak Dam goes low... You can still walk the streets of Somerton. The bridge is still there that goes oh. across the street. You can see the old foundations, even the tree stumps, like they where they cut the tree stumps by the sidewalks. That's so cool. It is incredibly cool. I, I walked through Somerton once, and I went, oh, that's like a really odd-looking foundation. It was this block of concrete about eight foot by eight foot with a square three by three hole in the middle. And I spent weeks trying to figure out what that was. And finally it hit me. That's an outhouse. Oh, okay. Yep. There you go. Yeah. So to completely give you whiplash, uh, Northcutt immediately starts beating and sexually abusing Clark, his nephew. Uh, not a great situation for this young boy to be in. It, I can't even imagine that, you know, like, you, you must feel like you, you know, you've gone to family. Family is uh, ostensibly supposed to be safe. And it just ends up in being a horror show for him, and it gets worse. So on March 10th, 1928, Walter Collins, who is nine years old, is abducted. He was last seen on a street corner near his home in Lincoln Heights, a neighborhood in Los Angeles. He was on his way to the movies. His mother, Christine, had given him some money. 
She was doing the single parent thing because Walter's father was in Folsom State Prison for not one, not two, but eight armed robberies. That's, well, that, that's, that's a, a lot. That's not the way numbers work. One, <laughs> two, eight? No, no, I skipped right past three, four, five, six, and seven because I was in a hurry, I guess. Fair I don't enough. know. <laughs> so um, the case did get a lot of attention. And the LAPD got a lot of negative attention uh, because they could not find Walter Collins. And they were already in the spotlight because there had been some corruption scandals. Keep in mind, it's the 1920s, so prohibition is still happening. And you've got big cities like L.A. The mob is and, and basically shady characters in general are drawn to those big cities. Racketeers, crooked politicians and judges, everyone was on the take. And that included the vice squad and uh, a mayor's aide who worked to protect uh, a sort of like crime syndicate. So they're already, you know, getting bad press and it just gets worse when you add that they cannot find this little nine-year-old boy. Now they got some leads. Uh, Walter Sr., Walter's father, in prison. He was basically, um, one of his jobs was to be the jailhouse snitch. <laughs> like, someone does something bad, I tell on him. And it was George who left the toy seat up. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the kind of information we're looking for, dude. Johnny Two Knives has been making bathtub wine. <laughs> yeah, okay, I guess we'll bust him. Fuck, this is useless. <laughs> <laughs> you were not helpful. Is that maybe on purpose? Like, you're, where's the next bank robbery? It's like, <laughs> Jimmy Stevies doesn't know how to tie his shoes. <laughs> that we can't fucking use that. <laughs> so they thought that maybe he had made some enemies through this snitching and they might have done it as revenge, you know, grabbing up Walter, his child, in order to get back at him. And that didn't go anywhere. There was a gas station in Glendale who saw in the back of a car driven by a foreign couple, a dead child wrapped in newspaper. Which, if you're going to pick something, I, I, even wrapping presents in newspaper is difficult. Wrapping a child, not to be macabre or anything, but we're already there. Yeah. Um, that, how, I just, I can't. I can't. If you're going to wrap a child in newspaper, at least make it the comic section. Oh, <laughs> dark. Age appropriate. Thank you. Thank <laughs> it's you. less dark than the headlines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that is true. Exactly. That is true. So, uh, the... Somebody actually went after this couple, like, followed them, and then they lost them. But they, people who had seen this boy said it, it, the boy looked like Walter Collins. But I don't know how much you can see, you know. I mean, if you're going to wrap up a dead... Wrapped up a newspaper yeah. in the back of a car. If yeah. you're going to wrap up a, a, a dead body, why leave the head unwrapped, you know? Like, that's the most obvious part that somebody is dead. <laughs> So, um, and then there were just lots of people reporting that a couple had been seen with a boy who would just beg to be let go. Probably just another kidnapping mm -hmm. victim, as we know. So then on May 16th, 1928, we have Nelson and Lewis Winslow. These were brothers, obviously. They were 10 and 12. They go missing in Pomona. What go the fuck? They, they, they were leaving. They were on the way home. From a yacht club meeting. They were 10 and 12. I want to hear the conversation that a 10-year-old has with a 12-year-old as they leave the yacht club meeting. I, I say, uh, uh, Lewis, uh, the, the jello there was kind of off today, don't you think? I desire to go home and have my feetsies rubbed and have a binky. <laughs> 
the hell kind of like you're ten and twelve? It was a weird time, it, 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 but it's funny that we have like one child right around that same age being sent to work as a as a ranch hand and. Other children close to that age going to yacht club meetings. They can't even fucking spell yacht. Yeah. They just go, my yacht. And it's my, on the side is just written, my yacht. And like scrawled handwriting, it's Y-O-T. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very little rascals, but like seven classes higher as mm-hmm. far as social, you know, social class is concerned. <laughs> yeah, very, that was a, a strange little detail that raised an eyebrow. But here's the thing that we have to think about is this serial killer was only 19. Yeah, he was pretty young. Well, he was... He was 19 when he got the farm, and then two years later, so he would have been 21. So, but even still, like, what were we doing when we were 21? Because we certainly were not running anything. Yeah, yeah, didn't have any chicken farms, that's for sure. I, I did not get ducks until I was in my 30s. Right? <laughs> I was very slow on life, apparently. That, that might be a thing where they say a lot of, a lot of serial killers don't actually have real emotions. Mm-hmm. So that sociopathy... You see a lot of people in higher positions of sociopathy. And I'm kind of wondering, that's because they don't actually have a fear to hold themselves back. Yeah, that's so entirely possible. maybe we should all be a little crazier to be more successful? Is that what you're getting at? I mean, it kind of works, if you stop and think about it. I mean, just not giving a fuck. But if you don't give a fuck on a level where nobody actually gets hurt. Yeah. I think there's there's... It's like steps, and you can climb those steps of not giving a fuck, but then you get to a certain point where if you if you go to the landing and you go up that next set of steps, you're going to kill some people. Or at the very least, hurt some people because, you know, maybe not giving a, a fuck about possible negative effects from taking risks. Um, good risks, the kinds that can, can end up in, you know, getting a promotion, stuff like that. Yeah. But, it, you know, not letting that fear stop you, but, you know, not letting the fear of getting caught after you murder people, that that's there's a line. <laughs> there, I mean, there is a fairly large amount of successful serial killers. Ted Bundy was an extremely successful individual. I cannot remember the guy's name. He was the pig farmer up in Canada who who would uh, who would capture prostitutes and then kill them, feed them to the pigs. Oh yeah, he was a millionaire. Mm-hmm. So I mean. It's not out of the range of, like, these people have it in them, probably more so than your standard scared, I'm just trying to make a day-to-day person. They have it in them to be very, very successful. Mm-hmm. So which came first, the million or the pig farm? The mil- uh, the pig farm came first. He made his millions off the pig farm. I mean, bacon. <laughs> and in, in Canada, Canadian, Canadian bacon. Canadian bacon. Yeah. Which, which is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> it's fried ham. It's, it is. It is. It's not bacon. You can't call that bacon. You're degrading the name of bacon by calling that bacon. Just my opinion. Amber's <laughs> angry at Canada. <laughs> no, so. it's not Canada. It's just their ham is useless to me. Well, she's yeah. angry at them for their ham. Canada fucking deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> so the Winslow boys, uh, their parents do get letters from them. Uh, first, the letters say that they're running away to Mexico, as all 10 and 12-year-olds yes. who go to yacht club meetings do. I mean, maybe there's you know, Mexico, there's some water there, although you're in California, there's also water nearby there. Uh, so you, know, you can just go yachting, maybe they're going to do the... Um, son of a bitch. Stephen King movie. Ended up in Mexico. Uh, Tim Robbins, Samuel... Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Thank you. I'm, I was doing Green Mile. I was doing Dead Man Walking. Like, I was going through all these things and I could not think of it. That is the one movie that always escapes me. I, 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 I want to hear a 10 and 12-year-old do that whole thing. Like, like uh, 
uh, Dufresne's letter to Red. Yes. I want you to go to a field. <laughs> In that field, there's a stone that has no earthly re- reason being there. Take that stone and meet me in T-Walked <laughs> I don't like that voice. <laughs> he uses it frequently. Get used to it. So, and then another letter comes in and says that they're going to stay away until they get famous. They want to have their names in lights or at least in headlines, which, again, that's that's... That's a level of sociopathy I don't think we frequently see in 10 and 12-year-olds. That's some dark foreshadowing, too. Yeah, yeah, it kind of <laughs> is. So, uh, and then, uh, some point during this time frame, we, I couldn't find a real date to figure out when this happened, but at some point near when these events happened, uh, the headless body of a teenage Mexican ranch hand was found in a ditch in La Puente, which, Amber, you looked like you had a date. Yes, so he was actually the first victim. Okay. They didn't find his body until, well, yeah, his body until later. Uh, February 2nd, 1928, they found a burlap bag containing the headless body of who they believe... uh, No, they actually never identified him um, in a La Puente ditch. It must be the city. Yeah, yeah, it's the city. And uh, or, but he had been shot. Yeah, yeah, and um, none of the others had been shot. The interesting thing is, I found one source that gave a name, and I kind of ran with it. It was Alvin Gothia, but I did everywhere I did else. I come across that, and then I, I saw a bunch of other people saying that they didn't identify him a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and then there was like. To the extent that he was called in the media, he was called the, quote, headless Mexican. Yes. Fucking brutal newspapers back then, man. Jesus. Tim Burton film. (laughs) Actually, uh, I found it interesting. They were were not allowing in the trial for this. They didn't allow women to be on, on... The jury, because of how gruesome and brutal some of this stuff was. Oh, get get fucking used to that. The, the <laughs> fairer sex. Yeah, that's 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 a fairly common theme that we see. It's a great <sighs> it's a great excuse. <laughs> the fairer sex shouldn't be around this kind of brutality. And yet, the really interesting thing you see is women flocking to trials to watch. Oh my god! Them. Yeah, you know sometimes they, they won't let them the in. Trial. Yeah. But they weren't allowed to be on the jury because they might get upset. Yeah, and we actually had, during our Golden Seppi episode, um, you had the all-male jury, you had women in the courtroom, and then you had the whole penis incident, and after that, there were no more women allowed in the gallery (laughs) because uh, they were talking about his unique penis. Because, yeah, so a woman has never, ever seen or heard of a penis before... Heaven forbid. Not not a penis like this. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to fill me in later. Fair enough. It's on, it, it's on an episode. You listen. <laughs> I might have seen bits and pieces of it. Yeah. I, I like to think there's like one judge up there who has like the weirdest reasons in the world. Well, we can't have women in there because it'll turn their breast milk sour. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked. No, no, absolutely not. So uh, there is, we have these three cases. We have uh, the, the February uh Alvin Gothia. I'm going to go ahead and call him Alvin Gothia because I think that he deserves a name. It's it's really... It's better than the Headless Mexican. It's better than the Headless Mexican. And to me, you know, like, I, I can understand probably somewhat transient. I can understand why they might not have been able to 100% identify him as opposed to these young boys who were, you know, from the area. But at the same time, I just... It, it really bugs me that we have, like, little white boy has a name. Little white boy has a name. Little white boy has a name. Headless Mexican! Like, the... I understand the reasoning yeah. behind it. I understand that there are other circumstances. Still bugs me, so I'm going to go ahead with Alvin Gothia. 
Cause, and also, I don't want to say headless Mexican one more time. That was the last time. <laughs> so they don't find any connection between these three cases, the February, March, and May, which they're, they occur pretty close together. And you would think at least the abductions, they would find a connection. But if we look at the distances, all right, Pomona is 18 miles west of Wineville. Lincoln Heights is about 46 miles west. And La Puente is 30 miles west. So, and La Puente is... Even though it's still, you know, 30 to 46, it's about, if you look at it on a map, it looks about smack dab between Wineville and Lincoln Heights. So you do have, it's not all happening in the same concentrated area. It's not like, you know, the Mad Gasser of Mattoon when it was the same damn neighborhood. This is happening, you know, fairly stretched out within a region. So I, I can understand it, but maybe they should have been trying harder is what I'm trying to say. So, um... Now we get to August 1928. Uh, back at the chicken ranch, Clark Sanford's sister, Jessie, comes to visit. She is 19 years old. Uh, she's from Canada, where he's from. She is worried about her brother. His letters had seemed off. Something seemed, you know, he would reassure the family that he was okay. And I think the, that kind of pinged some some red flags. They were like, why do you keep telling us you're okay? Like, if I just sat here and every five minutes said, I'm okay, guys, I'm okay. You would be like, is somebody putting a gun to your head? Or why do you keep telling us this? So, yeah, I think, I think it was too much reassurance. Or maybe he was trying, you know. Christy, are you okay? I'm okay, Scott. I'm really okay. I think she's okay. <laughs> we'll go with it for now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was only like four or five tears that that trembled down onto her 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 scared trembling lips. Ten is the line where you need to start worrying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we're we're under the limit. Oh, we're good. there's six. <laughs> we're we're, we're creep, creeping up there on the meter. So Northcutt tried to keep these two siblings from ever being alone together. You can see him like triangulating and trying to avoid. Um, Clark Sanford from having a chance to really talk to his sister and say anything. Uh, but they did manage to find a minute, and uh, Sanford said that he's scared for his life. He said that Northcutt had been sexually abusing him, and that Northcutt had killed four boys, and specifically mentioned the Collins case. That Did you see that in the paper? Um, said that uh, two other boys had been murdered, and a Mexican ranch hand had been decapitated. This should all sound familiar, because we just talked about it. Yeah. Northcutt even attacked her at one point during her stay. I mean, this really was not a great situation for anyone, uh, especially young people. You know, we have, uh, at, at this point in time, uh, Sanford was 15 and uh, Jesse would have been 19. And that's that's really tough at that age. Yeah, sure, they made kids grow up fast. But Jesus, to put you in the situation where you're, you're concerned for your brother's welfare because he's been <laughs> in the house with a murderer... I would think she would be, like, just living on the knife's edge of terror in between, you know, that moment when she could finally do something about, which we're going to get to. But first we need to circle back to Walter Collins. Also in August 1928, so during the same time that Jesse is finding out this information, in DeKalb, Illinois, uh, they find a boy named Arthur Hutchins. He had been living on the road and seemed to bear a resemblance to Walter Collins. So the police, you know, grabbed him up and they started asking about Walter Collins. And at first he, he said, no, I don't know anything about it. I don't know who that is. Then eventually he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm Walter Collins. And so the Illinois cops, they got in touch with the California cops. They sent them a picture of the new quote unquote Walter Collins. And then eventually just you know, sent Collins himself. They were like, okay, we sent the picture. Now let's send the real deal. And... 
when, when Christine Collins, his mother, saw a, a picture, she was like, no, that is, that is not my son. And when the boy came, she was like, that, I, again, I'm telling you, that's not my son. Then we have Captain J.J. Jones, who I just hate his name. What a fucking dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's almost like J.J. Jones, that's very close to J. Jonah Jameson. Mm-hmm. I had that exact <laughs> thought. I was like, is he from Spider-Man? <laughs> I want pictures of Christine Jones. <laughs> Based loosely. <laughs> <laughs> he basically said, just try him out for a couple of weeks. What the hell is my question? It's a... a very definitive, what the hell? You don't just... But it gets worse. It does get worse. Look, take the kid home. I know you're supposed to kick the tires on the car. It's the kneecaps on a boy. Just <laughs> kick him in the kneecaps a couple of times. I swear to God, he'll he'll say, you know, that's your kid. That's your kid. <laughs> and he'll say anything to make you stop kicking him. <laughs> I use this on my own children. It's a very effective parenting technique. I also use it to elicit confessions. <laughs> So. Here's the here's a, a little pro tip for you. Beat him with a bag of Valencia oranges because it'll make great tasting juice after you're done and it won't leave a bruise. <laughs> it's a pro tip from me to you. Fuck Amber's thinking about it. Just locking that away for later. Fair enough. <laughs> so three weeks pass, and during that time, Christine Collins just gets more and more sure. This is not my Walter. This is not my boy. She gets his dental records. And she gets people to write statements saying, you know, people who knew Walter to say, this isn't him. And so she takes all this information to Captain J.J. Jones, who immediately says, okay, yeah, we get it. You've shown me proof. No, 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 no. Sorry to her. He has her institutionalized. That's right. That's what he does. He locks her up for being crazy. I don't know how true the movie The Changeling is, which is based on this case. Uh, there is there is a scene in The Changeling, which I imagine probably happened, where she's giving her son a bath, and she goes, wait a minute, my son was circumcised. What the hell is this? That could have been just a, an imagining, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was also true. Because, and, I mean, it wasn't her kid at all. The kid was was a different kid, didn't have the same markings, didn't have the same height, and they're like, oh, he just grew. Yeah. Like, yeah, in, in the time he was gone, he just grew and changed faces. I mean, that happens. A hell of a growth spurt. That happens all and the time. And penises. Imaginary foreskin is the name of my punk group. <laughs> I dig it. Right I dig on. it. And then also we have, if we actually, to once again re- reference the Golden Suppy case from a few weeks ago, they identified the body. The people who worked at the Turkish baths with them, they identified the body based on the penis. They kept that out of the papers because they couldn't say. They said, oh, it was a scar on his finger. Mm-hmm. Uh, finger being quite the euphemism. Mm-hmm. So it could very well be possible that this just didn't, you know, that that is true, but it didn't make it into too many public records because they were, they were you know, decorum and being discreet and we don't, say we don't penis. say penis. <laughs> we can't say penis, guys. Silly, silly Welcome people. to podcasting. We can say penis all the fuck we want. Penis, 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 penis. Penis. I'm sure my mom's listening to this. I want your students to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I told them I'll tell you the name of my podcast after class is over. At the very end, on the last day, I'll tell you when I'm not going to see you again. <laughs> I think we need a little bit of a flyer campaign of the, the college professor. I'm not allowed to post flyers without permission. Uh, yeah, what are they going to do? Expel me? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> no, but breaking and entering, maybe. I don't think you're allowed in there. That's true. Yeah, might be. 
So yeah, it's it's code 12 that uh, J.J. Jones uses. It's sort of like the Baker Act in Florida, if, if you want like a more commonly known reference. And it's basically, it's like, you're embarrassing us. Uh, you're, you're, you're trying to make people think we're not doing our job, which we're not. Um, and so off you go to the psych ward at Los Angeles General Hospital. And so meanwhile, while Captain J.J. Jones is not doing his job at all, Jesse is back in Canada, and she's doing his job. This 19-year-old girl, not even a U.S. citizen, has to report on crimes that she's heard about from the U.S. So she goes to the American consul with her story, which, resourceful. Yes, right. Very resourceful. I'm so impressed. She makes a sworn complaint. She did this without the internet. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. She did this without the internet. And that information is then forwarded to the LAPD. Now... It is fascinating to me that this all happens. This is all happening in August. At the same time that uh, there's an apparent break in the case, which is the, you know, the, the, the young boy that they think is Walter, Her- Walter Collins, that's actually a red herring. And then because of that, you have people who in power who are trying to silence the truth. Without Jesse coming forward with the truth, we might never have known. Because they were literally trying to say the truth is not true. Reality is not reality. Go to the psych ward, and we're just going to hush this all up. And meanwhile, Jesse, not even knowing any of this is going on, is like, I, I got I to get the truth out there. People have got to know. Somebody in power has to know. And it, it's, it's fascinating to me that you have an, somebody who, an, almost entirely powerless who actually does the job when the powers that be are anti-doing the job. They're, they're doing the opposite, <laughs> the antithesis of doing the job. So that, to me, I had this moment when I was researching and I was just like, these timelines match up like almost perfectly. It was all during, around August and, and it's all happening at the same time. And without Jesse, we might never know, you know? But even that was a little messed up because when I was I was looking at that and they, they said that the reason that they actually looked into Jesse's complaint was based on an immigration issue. Yeah, that's that's funny because... Not they, the rest. Not the rest. Yeah, forget all the murders and the, the, the sexual abuse and all that. It's immigration. Now, wait a minute. What do you mean they're furners on the soil? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's exactly though. Like, they're like, yeah, murders, whatever. Oh, are we a foreigner? Wait a minute. Oh, okay. We got to look into this. Yeah, yeah. I'll we tell should, you we what. check this out. If a, if a good American man is doing some murder and it's because a foreigner told him to... <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> Corrupting his will to, uh, to be patriotic. So, so yeah, you do have... It ends up being not the LAPD that goes to the ranch. Not, like, the FBI or anything like that. It's immigration services. They send two agents out on August 31st, 1928. Which, just to me, is... Yeah, like you said, it's hugely ironic. So, Northcutt sees the inspectors coming. And he just hightails it right out of there. You know, like, smoke bomb, I'm gone. Mm -hmm. Long driveway. Long driveway. So they're able to see, you know, oh, look, there's a billow of dust coming up the road. Yeah. There's somebody coming. Shit. Yeah, probably Mm -hmm. an official vehicle, too. So, so yeah, he hightails it out. He tells Sanford Clark, stall. You know, just stall them. Keep them busy. Maybe, you know, show them the chickens. I don't know. And... After a few hours, when when Clark felt that he was safe, he tells the inspectors he made a run for it. That's because um, uh, our our gentleman here said that he would be hiding in the tree line with a gun and would take him out if he did not stall. Yeah, yeah. So Sanford Clark was mortified, thinking he was going to be shot at any moment. 
And he waited a good few hours before he, like, okay, I, I think he's gone now. What the fuck do you stall, like, two official agents for two hours with? Well, those are nice shoes. Um, <laughs> you guys ever eat chicken? We've got a lot of chicken. Do you want to see the chickens? No, no trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how he, he stalled them. Maybe just, it could just be, you know, sort of an obstruction thing, just refusing to answer questions. Um, you know, and, and he, he, Sanford Clark being the immigrant, he would have most of their attention because it's immigration services. They're yeah. actually literally after him. So if he just refuses to answer any questions, you know, it just sits there either completely mom or just, I don't know, I, you know, plays like a, you know, a U.S. senator or congressman, you know, at, at, at some sort of hearing. Depends on what the definition of is, is. I, I do not recall. <laughs> I, I have no recollection of that. I, I do, I do not recall. I like to think he went completely the other direction, where it was like he, he turned from like a 13-year-old boy to a 78-year-old man. He's just sitting, sitting there whittling. The way I see the interesting thing about chicken farming is you got all sorts of tiny different chickens. you got your, your uh, roosters. you got your hens. And here's a little thing a lot of people don't realize. We don't kill the chickens right away. We wait until they stop laying the eggs. Whenever it becomes too costly for the fee, it's like there's just a bunch of fucking, like, fucking guys that are going like, Jesus Christ, I can't take this anymore. I was really sitting here like, how much did you research about chicken farms? I researched a lot about chicken farms. Like, I was, I was waiting to learn something. Well, it's true. They, they actually, there is an equation that chicken farmers use. Uh, whenever, whenever the feed becomes more costly to feed the chicken than you can sell the eggs for, that's whenever something ends up being dinner. Yeah. Makes sense. So, um, Northcutt had, uh, he, he had actually really run for it, along with his mother. This is uh, Sarah Louise, who is just as sane and special as he is. Um, they actually made it all the way to, well, sources very wildly. Um, some <laughs> say that uh, they made it all the way to Vernon, uh, British Columbia, and others say that they were caught in different places. He in British Columbia and she in Alberta. One way or the other, Vernon, British Columbia, is 1,400 miles from L.A., um, they were caught on September 19th or 20th, depending on sources. So that's about 19 to 20 days after the initial fleeing. That is a 24 hour drive. If it's in modern day and you can go 60, 70 miles per hour on, on highways, which they couldn't back then. Or, uh, if you're going to walk it 435 hours of walking, which is 18 straight days. So no rest, no stopping for food, just just keep on walking. So uh, they must have caught some rides, hitchhiked, which can you imagine seeing the paper <laughs> later on, having one of those moments where you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Yikes. I like to think that whenever they got to Canada, the police come like, well, you almost made it to Canada. <laughs> British Columbia is in Canada. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> so Samford... It, it takes him a little while, but he does tell the whole story. <coughs> he says, physically and sexually abused by Northcutt, he was forced to watch while Northcutt tortured, abused, and murders the boys that we've already mentioned. Um, and, you know, he says, you know, sometimes he held a gun to my head and, and made me help. And uh, the bodies were dismembered. Uh, they applied quicklime and then buried them. And he also said, and, and this is where we get some higher numbers than what we have on the official record, that Northcutt would bring Mexican boys in. He would just drive Mexican boys onto the farm, and then they would just disappear. 
Even Northcutt's father, uh, Cyrus George Northcutt, he said, yeah, my son told me he murdered some people, murdered some kids. Yeah, he told me. And everybody's just sitting there like, you did come forward maybe well know? there was also a rumor that northcott had rented his victims out to wealthy pedophiles nearby Ooh, i didn't see that now, one. that is unfounded yeah because of, of course it's a rumor but this would have been the extra numbers that he was actually kidnapping and then renting them out to be used for sex wow i think it can be uh solidly stated i don't think northcott hanged himself I see what you did there yeah I think you can say that and in addition to Northcutt making Clark help um, sometimes at gunpoint Sarah Louise would participate pretty much of her own free damn will we don't get a lot of comments but we don't get a lot of sense out of these people no after they're caught we get a lot of nonsense yes Their, their story it's almost like a Rubik's Cube their story, you know, they'll say one thing and then, you know, change it around to another thing. And they'll say they're guilty and then they'll say they're innocent, just back and forth. But, you know, it's it's kind of sad. She was the one that killed Collins. Yeah, yes. right. yeah, or at least she had the final blow. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it, it basically, well, you know, it was, the idea was if we all, you know, all three of them hit Collins repeatedly, and then we've all delivered blows and we're all equally complicit in the murder. So if we get caught, you know, it, it, it's kind of a, I don't know what exactly you would call it. All I can think of is prisoner's dilemma when you have like, you know, two people being uh, kept in different rooms trying I, to get Well, a, I actually, I found an confession. interesting tidbit on this. So Sarah had actually come to visit and uh, found Walter. So I think he was actually planning on keeping Walter just as an extra playmate, but Walter could identify him because they, he, I guess, um, let me see. Gordon had once worked at a supermarket where Walter had shopped with his own mother, Christine Collins. So there was a small connection there. And, and Sarah saying, hey, this boy knows who we are, says we have to kill him now. Because if he escapes, yes. then uh, the, the jig is up. So basically, the horrifying from, jig. from what I read, it was her idea to start killing these these hostages because i think originally they might have just been hostages the original intention i suppose yeah yeah it's entirely possible because she she was uh not walking the straight line of sanity there either um so yeah we really don't know exactly whose idea it was and um this was this is a family where the the the, the apple did not fall far from the tree one way or the other and I saw another thing, actually, um, to counterpoint that, that regarding Walter Collins, Clark said that Collins had actually witnessed Northcutt committing a murder, helping to kill another guy's mining partner. Um, so he was a witness to that, and he had to go. So there's a couple different possible reasons. Oh, I didn't see that one. Yeah, it's, it's, the source is very wildly. There you they have do it. very wildly. So <laughs> Can I just say, I'm really impressed with her research Yeah, this yeah, week. she's finding a lot of stuff that I haven't found. Yeah, this is <laughs> go good. Amber. This is good. Nice work, buddy. Good job. You're working. You're working. So basically, it seems like the, the chain of events would be Northcutt would kidnap the boys in order to sexually abuse them, possibly to rent them out, as Amber said. Um, then whenever he would get bored, he would say, let's go look at the chicks in the incubator room, which is just horrifying, and uh, murder them with an axe, which he had multiple of. He didn't just have one child murdering axe. We'll find out. So, um, 
And as for Gothea, uh, Alvin Gothea, Northcutt killed him and made Clark help him burn the head in the fire pit and then crush the skull and then just left the body in a ditch because he couldn't think of where else to put it. I mean, that just, I just, this guy, I swear. I was just about to break out the Shakespearean insults, but it actually felt too cutesy. It's, he's treating them like they're like a piece of broken furniture. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like, I don't even like people that throw like broken sofas out by the side of the road. This is an entire human being. He's one of those people to whom other people aren't. Yes. Other people are not human beings. He's the only one who is, you know, conscious and has feelings. Maybe he doesn't have feelings, whatever. But to him, other people are, like you said, they're objects. Yeah. That is a terrifying mindset to me. That that mindset is is one of the ones that, that keeps me up at night and scares the crap out of me. Cause... I absolutely agree, because it's... One of the things that I realized very early on whenever I started reading like true crime many, many years ago is that there are monsters. Mm-hmm. There are absolute monsters out there. But the terrifying thing is they don't look like monsters. Yeah, they look like us. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, and for, I've seen pictures of Northcott. He's not a bad-looking guy. He's just... No, he's really weird-looking, and they actually, in the papers, refer to him as Ape Man. Don't yeah. pink shame me. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he had really hairy knuckles and a hairy back, which, how? Did anybody see that? Why? I'm so ashamed. I don't know. I don't know why anybody is commenting on his back hair, and I... Granted, 1920s photography, not exactly up to par with our standards, but I didn't even see really hairy knuckles. So I don't I don't really understand that. Also, yeah, that, has, that, that whole like, ape-man I've thing. I've seen a few pictures. He's got a sling blade kind of vibe to him. I, I mean, thought he looked like Adam Carolla. Really? Yeah. I'm still stuck on the nickname. Why don't we call him the horrific child murderer? How about that? No, no, we need to stop doing that. Like the Moonlight, uh, Texarkana Moonlight Murderer. No, 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 but it's not romantic in any way. Like Moonlight Murderer can almost be like, you know, it, 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 it has that romantic quality to it. It's child murderer. There's nothing even like darkly romantic about it. It's See, just sick. In his mind though, I bet he was proud of it. And I've seen, I've seen like a little joke uh, where we we need to stop doing it, and I agree. Yeah. We need to call him like, oh, here's Tommy the micro penis murderer. <laughs> yes, I love that one. Here's Bobby Dipshit the <laughs> strangler. So um, the other bodies, Clark told them where the graves were, but they only found parts because it turned out that Northcutt and his mother had dug the bodies up on August the fourth, taken them off somewhere, probably burned them. They never were really able to find that, so they never found the full bodies. But well, Northcott was also a dick, because for a long time he kept telling the parents of the victims different places to go look for their kids' bodies that oh, they yeah. were not. He loved, like, misdirection and just basically just completely messing with people who were grieving, like, distraught, traumatized parents. He, that was, he, I think he got yeah. off on it. So in the graves, they found 51 various body parts uh, pieces of bone, boys' clothing, and they also found bones of male children just scattered all over the ranch. It was the worst treasure hunt ever. Yeah, there's no real prize at the end of that. No, there is not. <laughs> they also found axes, like I said, plural, with human hair and blood on them, and they found some burlap that matched that that was used to wrap up 
Kothia's body. So making some distinct connections here. As far as in the house, they found a library book checked out to one of the Winslow boys. Well, he's going to go to jail for that, not returning a library book. <laughs> yeah. that, that fucking bastard. They'll come after him for that. Honestly, the way that they're arresting people in this, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they got him on. <laughs> really, yeah. Like Al Capone in Texas. Hanging for library book violations. Oh. <laughs> I bet Barb would really like it if that was a thing. That's true. <laughs> that's true. So they also found um, other letters that the boys had written or I put in parentheses, been forced to write or had been forged, is never really like specified. Obviously, they, they were probably forced to write the letters that said they were in Mexico or they were yes. going to stay away until they got famous. Um, and uh, they found a child's whistle, Boy Scout badges, and one place I saw also a Boy Scout hat. Nothing that made a connection to Walter Collins. So they're able to make connections to Alvin Gothia. They're able to make connections to the Winslow boys. Nothing to Walter Collins. Which will end up in false hope, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. And even now, probably pa partially because of this, the authorities still refuse to listen to Christine Collins. Until, finally, they brought in a handwriting expert. And the handwriting expert looked at Arthur Hutchins and looked at some uh, examples from Walter Collins. And he said, okay, look, so this, this one from this, this kid that you say is Walter Collins, he was clearly educated in Illinois. He uses an R that they don't teach you how to write it, the R that way in California. And they're like, oh, okay, well, hey, hey, Christine, did, did you maybe like live in Illinois? No, you didn't, no? <laughs> just stay there for a little while. Just, just, just stay put, stay put, we'll get to you, we'll get to you. I want to know what the R looked like. I know. I was very, like, the, 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 the handwriting enthusiast, I guess, that I am. At one point during class today, I, I, I paused to say, my printing is absolutely delightful today. I was very proud of it. I have problems. I'm judging you. Yeah, I'm, I, I know. I saw the look. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, I, I wanted to see this R, but you, you never see it. Handwriting enthusiast. I'm a handwriting enthusiast. I like good handwriting. Please add that to your resume, just for fun. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I've got Frog Wrangler on there, so. Um, so, yeah, they basically say the, the truth finally comes out. Um, Arthur Hutchins was 12 years old, was not Walter Collins. He uh, had been placed with his aunt, Violet Hutchins, after the death of his mother in 1925. Uh, he ran away from Violet Hutchins, and he made it to as far as Illinois from Iowa, and once they said, hey, you look like Walter Collins, he kind of eventually was like, oh, maybe I'll get to go to Hollywood and I can meet my, my idol, Tom Mix. Do you want to learn some stuff about Tom Mix? Uh, I already know a lot of stuff about Tom Mix, but you go right ahead. Do you got the song in there? I don't have the song. You okay. can, you can, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> so uh, if you ask Tom Mix, or if you did when he was alive, he would say he was born in Texas. He fought in the Spanish-American War with the Rough Riders, the Boxer Rebellion, the Boer War. He uh, served as a sheriff in Kansas. He was a U.S. Marshal in Oklahoma and a Texas Ranger. But you know what? He was actually born in Mixed Run, PA, or Driftwood, PA. They're very close together. Grew up in Dubois, so uh, very close to us. Deserted the Army in 1902 Sounds, after not serving in any wars. Uh, rode in Teddy Roosevelt's inaugural parade in 1905 along with some Rough Riders, which he used that to claim that he was a Rough Rider. Apparently, if you ride a horse next to somebody who also rides a horse, you can claim any ranks and titles that they may have. That's how this works. It's oh, sort of a weird... Horses. 
It's a it's a weird osmosis. It's very strange. I have a little plastic figurine of a figurine of Teddy Roosevelt. So now he is now a close personal friend of mine who lives in my house on occasion. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so he and his famous horse Tony made three hundred and yeah, that's a thing. Uh, All right. Yeah, his famous horse Tony made three hundred and seventy full length westerns in nineteen twenty nine. He would be a pallbearer at Wyatt Earp's funeral, which is quite something. Um, and just to uh, did he actually know Wyatt Earp, or did he just show up and was like, "Hey guys, I'm a pallbearer." Probably. Yep. Yeah. He was probably was like, you know, I'm I'm in westerns and um, uh, I'm pretty much a cowboy, even though I was born in Pennsylvania, and uh, you know, I saw cows there. There's cows there. <laughs> it's almost Kardashian like if you really stop and think about it, where it's like I'm just famous because. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He, uh, in the 1930s, bought and managed a circus. Now, this is where the real uh, Tom Mix becomes a a dick. Um, Well, he was already kind of a lying idiot. But um, he got his eldest daughter, Ruth, in on the circus. And then he flitted off to Europe to do some promotional stuff, probably for a, a film he had done. Left Ruth to manage the circus. Pretty much without his presence, like, that was the big draw. He was the... People came to the circus to, to see Tom Mix, the... Circus failed, and he said, you're out of the will. Six million dollars, which would be $112 million today. Wow. Dick. So, um, in, and now we have his death. Are you ready for his death? Always. That's what we're here for. It is. In 1940, he was 60 years old. He was driving near Florence, Arizona, and in his Cord Phaeton, Convertible? Is that how you... Phaeton? Phaeton? I have no idea. Phaeton? I have isn't no that, idea. There's 18 different ways I could pronounce that, and I don't know. Isn't that what Scientologists call a soul? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Phaeton. It's very close if you pronounce it one way or the other. So, um, And there were signs that the a bridge was out ahead, had been, had been washed away. Uh, he either didn't see them, or he chose to ignore them. Or he's a cowboy. Or he's a cowboy. He ended up going into a gully. And he had some aluminum suitcases, some big, heavy aluminum suitcases in the back seat. One of them smacked him right in the neck, broke it. He died almost instantly. You can... By the way, that suitcase contained money, traveler's checks, and jewels. How the hell does this guy pack? What is that? (laughs) I want to start packing like that. I would like to start packing like that, too. Like, it's like if if Hunter S. Thompson was obsessed with money instead of drugs. Yeah, exactly. So, um, if you would like to see the, quote, suitcase of death, you can go to the Tom Mix Museum in Dewey, Oklahoma, where it is the featured display. I'm surprised the suitcase was still there, because honestly, if I came across that body, I would take the suitcase. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not lying. I probably would, too. All right, so Scott (laughs) has a song, information about a song. For a long time, the, the rumor around Hollywood was that Tom Mix tried to convince everybody that the very famous, was not shaving a haircut, two bits, but was actually, who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. Oh my god. <clears throat> this guy was just full of lies. Mm-hmm. That is hilarious. So, um, Arthur Hutchins never did meet Tom Mix, as far as we're aware. His stepmother picked him up and took him home, and ten days later, they released Christine Collins from the psych ward. Ten, ten days! It's been official... That this is not her child, and she is actually sane for 10 days. 
And they just are like, well, yeah, you can, you know, like, take, get some rest, maybe, you know? Christine Electroshock therapy. Here's the thing, though. This was not an unknown quantity. Christine had a lot of people on her side oh, going, yeah. why the fuck aren't you letting this woman go? Yeah, yeah. Chief amongst them was a radio evangelist. Uh-huh. Which you don't, like, today, I don't think of, like, televangelists or radio evangelists doing anything good. Yeah. But this guy, Reverend, I love this name. I love this name. Any name that's as fucked up as this. Reverend Gustav Brigleb. He uh, he fights on the air to have Christine released, and she may not have ever gotten released if it wasn't for Reverend Brigleb. Yeah, yeah. It really, she, she needed somebody on her side, and I'm glad that, that he was there. Weird name and all. So in December 1928, the, the police take Northcutt back to the ranch. Um, he confesses verbally to five murders. But he only gives a written confession for Alvin Gothia and not the others. So it's kind of like, eh, what's going to happen trial-wise? They have to decide who they're going to charge with what. So also that month, uh, Sarah Louise Northcutt, his mother, confessed to the Walter Collins murder. She said, um, I delivered the, la- the killing blow, basically. So, you know, if I was the one, like, yeah, they were, they were also hitting him as well, you know, the, the Sanford Clark and, and Northcutt, but mine was the one that actually killed him. Uh, Sanford Clark corroborated that and, and told them the story about how if they each hit him, they would hold the same amount of guilt. They'd all be complicit and, you know, so they'd all have something to hold over each other or a reason to keep quiet. Um, she pleaded guilty to the murder, was sentenced to life in, um, or was sentenced to life on December 31st, 1928. Uh, her femaleness, much like the, the femaleness of many spared them jury duty, spared her the death penalty. And that is, uh, whatever. It's one of those times that you really wish this would have happened in Texas. Yeah, right? <laughs> kind of, yeah. 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 So um, they charged Northcutt with the murder of Gothia and the Winslow brothers, uh, but not with Colin's murder as his mother had already confessed. So, uh, and he, like I said, he was thought to be responsible for as many as, as 20 boys' murders, but there was never any definitive, you know, really people who stepped forward and said, you know, for sure, like, I think my son was one of them, and they were able to identify anything. So um, the trial lasted for 27 days in January and early February 1929, and it was a shit show. He turned it into a shit show. He turned it into a shit show, yeah. <laughs> so Sanford Clark was testifying, and he said, I hit him first with the axe because Stewart told me if I didn't, he would kill me. And Northcutt says... He's lying, just screams it in court. And then he wants to cross-examine Sanford Clark himself, Northcutt does, and the judge says yes. Now, you say that, like... So, from, from what I read, the trial was absolutely ridiculous. Northcutt spent most of the days making lewd gestures at, at the people working there and cracking jokes. He fired several attorneys, decided to represent himself, and at one point cross-examined himself grilling himself on the stand. Yes, I do have that. My sources only differed as far as the attorneys were concerned, um, which was when the judge said, yes, uh, Northcutt, you can exam or you can cross-examine your nephew. The attorneys were like, nope, we're out. I'm gone. This is ridiculous. This is, this is, this is no longer my circus and that is not my ape man. (laughs) 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 Thank you. Thank you. It It just came to me. So, so yeah, it, it could go either way, and uh, it really, honestly, it might come down to the attorneys. Maybe, you know, maybe they they don't want it to be like, yes, the the 
lunatic ape man child murderer fired me. That is how low my life is. Maybe there's just like, no, I had principles and I ran when the judge was like, yeah, you can cross examine your nephew who's accusing you of these murders. That makes total sense. I mean, their attorney is so, yeah, it, it could go either way. That's yeah. why Abraham Lincoln's in hell right now. Yeah, he freed the slaves and he was one of the most beloved presidents, but he was a lawyer. <laughs> That's what did it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he did. Like he said, he would grill. He grilled himself on the stand. That part killed me because I'm just imagining him doing the asking and the answering. And in I my really head, I hope he's like getting up and then getting back. Down. Me too, so much. <laughs> that has happened. That has, honest to God, happened. Uh, the uh, and there's a great movie about it called Big Eyes. For I've the, seen that. Yeah, that is a true story. For the longest time, and I cannot remember the artist's name. This this female artist painted these wonderfully soul-wrenching portraits of children with big eyes. And she got very, very famous for it. Her husband was also a painter, by which he was lying to everybody, including her, and he would just buy other people's paintings and erase his name and sign his name at the bottom. Oh, my gosh. So she took him to court. American artist Margaret Keene. That's it. And her husband, Walter. (laughs) She took Walter to court. And Walter cross-examined himself by asking himself a question and then sitting down in the chair oh my and God. then jumping back up. And it was beautiful. The, the, uh, the judge just finally said, I got a great way to figure this out. Paint me a picture. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. I love it. So, yeah, what's not beautiful is that uh, Northcutt claimed that he loved his victims, which is just disgusting to me. And also not beautiful at all was Northcutt's mother, Sarah Louise, during the trial. This was... So she tried to say that uh, her son was the result of incest between her husband and their daughter, Winifred. So that would be uh, Sanford and Jesse's mother. Do we really doubt it? Um, Well... (laughs) Well, there was a whole lot of things that were claimed. Winifred came to court and said, I can prove this because I can give you the nurse and the doctor who were in attendance when my mother, not me, gave birth to this scourge of humanity. So she basically, they, they, I don't, as far as I could tell, I was actually able to find some primary sources, some newspaper accounts from the day. So that was interesting. Um, but yeah, from what I can tell, they're very brief. She, she never actually brought them in, but she said, no, she, she said, uh, quote, my mother and brother are both undoubtedly insane. And then said, I, I can, I can, t- I can bring you witnesses to prove it. And, uh, but I mean, she also, Sarah Louise Northcutt also tried to claim that, uh, her son was the bastard son of an English nobleman. To which I say, pick a story, lady. Northcutt said that he had an incestuous relationship with his mother, who dressed him in girls' clothing until he was 16, and that his father had abused him at the age of 10. And then the mother also claimed that the whole family sexually abused Gordon Northcutt growing up. It was absolutely nuts. Now, that actually wouldn't surprise me, though, if that was true, that, that there was some sort of sexual abuse going on, because especially... Like, we have to understand, when he started doing this, he was 19. So, like, if if he was sexually abused, it kind of makes sense in my mind that he was stunted from that trauma. That could happen, And yeah. then went and did it to other little boys. Certainly in the days of, of much less availability of uh, any sort of psychological intervention. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's not to say that if you've been 
sexually abused that you then automatically become an no, abuser no, because there's this, this this horrible stigma with it that, that says that, oh, well, if it happened to you, you're going to do it to other people, which is in no way true. But especially in, in those days, it, it's certainly entirely possible. It's not an excuse by any means. Oh, no, no. So um, Everybody's nuts here, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a lot of... Lot of lot of that like going I actually I I feel bad for the sister who seems to be the only sane one of the whole bunch. Well, the sister and her daughter. Well, Sanford Clark, I mean, he, he ends up pretty well. He does, he does, he ends up excellent. And I actually I saw an account, and I'm not sure because this is this is again rumor, but that he didn't go willingly with his uncle for the to the chicken coop. He was actually kidnapped. He was supposed to go on a day trip with him for fun, and. It just got kind of taken. Wow. That would explain why... <laughs> another reason why Jesse was so worried. She's like, hey, wait, nobody's seen him for two years. He's been down there on this chicken coop. He was supposed to be there a day. Hello. I was listening to a podcast. I'm not going to name it, but it was it's an investigative podcast. And uh, a, a woman and her son went missing Memorial Day. And nobody made any missing re- person reports for two months. And I'm literally in my kitchen doing dishes and I'm screaming, Two months? Are you kidding me? I swear to God, you two, if I go missing and get murdered and it takes you two goddamn months. I mean, I think the longest <laughs> I will it would haunt take you. is six days when we show up for the podcast. And the exactly. Like, exactly. And I understand that some people don't have close ties to the community, but there were people calling her and texting her and not getting a response. And you would think at some point you would be like, I mean, she usually responds in a day. It's been six yeah. weeks. I don't know. <laughs> I think if I would end up missing, <clears throat> excuse me, let's do that again. I think if I would end up missing, probably my cats have eaten me. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I dropped dead, or worse yet, just injured myself to where I'm not mobile, and my cats got hungry. That's why I literally carry my phone around my house. That's <laughs> why I don't have cats. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, um, on February 8th, 1929, Northcutt is found guilty on all three counts. The jury went to deliberate at 5 p.m., they were done at 8.15, and that was with an hour for dinner. So did <laughs> not take them long at all. I was going to say, that took too long. I just pictured them going back, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we got to stretch this out and just make it look like we really actually deliberated. I, I think that's what it is. And just like they get back there because there's no such thing as cell phones, and they can't play Best Fiends to pass the time. So <laughs> it's just like, oh, fuck, man. I guess, uh, I guess shit, we're done. Um... <laughs> Uh, long long dinner, long maybe dinner, maybe long yeah. dinner. It's Wanna a, go for a walk. Have a few have a few drinks, maybe. <laughs> it's a shame we don't have women on this uh, jury because we could at least uh, guilt somebody into a striptease or something. <laughs> <laughs> so during this, um, Northcutt seemed unperturbed. None of this bothered him. He thanked the jury for their verdict. He joked around with the deputies. The newspaper even said that he lounged about in his cell, um, although it said he did look a little pale, so there's that. Mr. Winslow, father of the two slain brothers, led a lynch mob to the Riverside County Jail, where Northcutt was being held, uh, with the the intent of hanging. He wanted to hang Northcutt, or have him hung, um, between the trial and the sentencing. I was really rooting for the lynch mob here. I've been part of an angry mob. <laughs> I, I try to start them all the time. No, like, I, I'm confused, though, to how, like, because this wasn't in Canada. Like, in Canada, I can be like, the cops, like, oh, no, no, you, you, you don't want to do that. But, like, this is California, angry mob. They're going to be like, let's just talk you down. I, I don't, how do you talk down an angry mob? There was about 20 of us. And the two policemen, we actually called the police to get there. We, the angry mob was just there to keep the person in place. We didn't attack him, nothing. 
we just kept the guy in place until the police got there. Uh, my buddy Barry, he actually caught a man, by, like a grown man, biting his eight-year-old sister on the face underneath. We had like this jungle gym and you could cr- climb around the bottom of it. It was like an outdoor, it was the Salisbury Wooden Kingdom is mm-hmm. what it was called. And he caught this guy biting his sister on the face. And instantly, angry mob forms. Wow. And we just, it was our job to keep him there until the police got there. So, yeah. that I've been part of an angry mob. <laughs> there we go. Fun story. It's story time with Scott. Good for you. I want to be in a mob. <laughs> Amber's jealous. No, I am. You're young. <laughs> <laughs> So Christine Collins goes to the prison to interview Northcutt, and Northcutt just basically, he tells her one lie after another, he'll confess, and then he'll immediately recant it. He says, oh, I don't know whether I've ever met Walter, I don't know, his, his eyes are this color when they were that color. So she basically said, he literally, she said, he's insane, but she still, somehow, that left her hopeful that Walter was still alive. I guess if you, on one weird level, it kind of makes sense to me. Because I'm like, okay, well, if you think he's insane and he'll do anything, then why don't you think he would kill your son? But on the other hand, if you think he's insane and he'll do anything, then there's no reasoning behind his actions. There's no logical reason. So he may very well have just on a whim decided to leave Walter Collins alive. So on on one hand, it makes sense. And on the other hand, it doesn't. I I think it depends on your point of view. I I totally get it. I had a cat that ran away about seven years ago, and I'm still convinced he's alive. Bootsy Collins. Oh, Bootsy. Bootsy Collins. And it's a Collins. Yeah, I know. I find that weird, too. So then he sent her, uh, he sent Christine a telegram that said, I'll give you the truth. I'll confess if you come in person. A few hours before the hanging, she shows up and he said, quote, I don't want to see you. I don't know anything about it. I'm innocent. So just basically jerking her around left and right. I can't even imagine being this woman. And uh, uh, from a news account, quote, the distraught woman was outraged by Northcutt's conduct, but was also comforted by it. Northcutt's ambiguous replies and his seeming refusal to remember such details as Walter's clothing and the color of his eyes gave her continued hope that her son still lived, end quote. On October 2nd, 1930, 23-year-old Northcutt is hung, hanged at San Quentin Prison. He uh, is blindfolded. He's in a state of collapse, they say. And the guards had to help him up the 13 steps to the gallows. And I have to tell you, when I was uh, when I was getting my notes, I, I, I first read that as 13 guards helped him up the steps. And I was like, wow, he was really in a collapse. Or they were all really weak or something. And I was like, no, it's 13 steps. Which also, I do find the 13 steps kind of like... 13 steps to the gallows. Yeah. 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 Well, and then during the 13 steps, he was quoted as saying, please don't make me walk so fast. No. (sighs) I think I'd say the same thing. Uh, The Madera Tribune said that, uh, quote, the youthful child slayer from Riverside County seemed unaware of what was occurring. End quote. His last words were, say a prayer for me, to which I'm sure everybody in attendance said, nah. (laughs) <laughs> and he was hung for 12 minutes before actually death occurred, oh. which, you know, and couldn't have happened to a nicer person. I'm not a proponent of the death penalty is the thing. But sometimes when we do these cases, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm I in this instance, I can be OK with that because you, you, you spend so much time with the case and you empathize with the victims and with their families. But at the same time, there is that part of me that's like, the, it's, it's irrevocable. You can, it, it, it can be a mistake that can happen, 
and it's you can't undo that mistake. Like, and also, you know, I know that the that we're like the only developed country that still has the death penalty, which is also kind of like, well, look at everybody else; they seem to be managing pretty well. So, and anyway, I don't want to talk about death but penalty too North much. Northcott actually had one more last prank, cruel prank that is. After his death, his cellmate found a map that he had drawn. Oh Jesus Christ! With coffins drawn on it, saying, "I'm not guilty, but if you look here, you'll find what you want." So, like, even in death, he was still harassing the victims. Like, the well, the parents of the victims. I don't have my Shakespearean insults handy. I need to use one. It's really, honestly, just for my own mental sanity. It's from All's Well That Ends Well, so it's almost still too cutesy. A most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality. It's number one on top 50 Shakespeare insults on... Oh, you didn't look for cutesy no Shakespearean insults? No, I didn't. <laughs> on nosweatshakespeare.com. And yeah, that, that one seems to work. Uh, he was a liar. He, he broke promises left and right. Yeah, so I think that was, that was like almost kismet. It was meant to be. I was meant to use that particular yes. insult. Fate just lined up to in the universe. I am that important that everything in the universe lined up for me to find the perfect insult for this moment. I am, I am important. <laughs> and any time I look up like Shakespearean insults, the only thing I get, thou farted. <laughs> So I was curious, due to his age, um, I, I was curious who the youngest person ever executed in the United States was. Oh, that's oh, a sad one. Oh, it's a really sad one. We're not going to go into the details, but just in the 20th century, that was George Stinney in South Carolina at the age of 14. And Fuck. innocent. On June 16th, 1944. And innocent. Yes. And uh, Mrs. Nelson and Mrs. Collins were nearby, but uh, from what I could tell, they weren't witnesses. Um, I imagine if they won't let women be jurors, they won't watch them, or they won't let them watch someone be hanged. Uh, Northcutt's mother was said to be in a cell nearby, even though she was, uh, at Tehachapi State Prison, according to other accounts, but they might have brought her to be nearby for her son's hanging, is what I'm thinking. Maybe, like, a weird act of mercy, or also sort of punishment at the same time. She might have been into it. I kind of yeah. feel like she might have been into it. It's entirely possible. Yeah, she was in a in a cell somewhere in the in the prison when it happened. Um, probably giggling like a loon. Yeah, probably, and telling stories about incest. <laughs> Not long after the hanging, as we referenced earlier, Wineville changed its name to Miraloma, which is Spanish for "view from the hill" and not. Home of the horrible murderer. Or it could have been like a... That was a cute quote, Christy. <laughs> Marcus. <laughs> La Casa de Mexican Sans Cabeza. The House of the Headless Mexican. Oh, I should have, yeah, I should have yeah. that, yeah. Uh, so in 1930, we're going to do some aftermath here. Uh, Christine Collins wins a lawsuit against Captain Jones of the LAPD. Hooray! The court awards her $10,800. That's $166,000 today. And hold that hooray back because Jones never pays. I'm not surprised at all. (laughs) Yeah. She even filed a judgment against him in 1941 for $15,562. And as far as I know, never got that, which I was interested in the uh, inflation, if if that was the 1941 version of what 10,800 was in 1930. So I looked it up, but um, it actually, inflation had deflated. In 1941, it was actually worth something like $9,000 or something. I didn't write it down, but I was just like, oh, that's Interesting. Okay. Interest. Yeah. Well, you know, depression and all that fun stuff. Sarah Louise Northcutt, get ready to be mad, served less than 12 years before she was paroled and then died in 1944. So at least she died. 
Um, <laughs> sometimes evil just refuses to die. Well, there was a lot of kismet in this, though, because, like, aside from their deaths, uh, Arthur Hutchins, the boy imposter, actually ended up dying fairly young as well. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, he was age 38. It was in 1954. Blood clots. Mm-hmm. He left behind a wife and his young daughter, Carol, who in 2008 said... Quote, my dad was full of adventure. In my mind, he could do no wrong. End quote. Do you remember the time my dad gave a woman false hope and she ended up in the loony bin and he kept her there by not confessing right. to the horrible thing he did? That precocious scam. <laughs> <laughs> and as for Sanford, probably the most traumatized of this whole... I'm so proud of him. Me too. Me too, yeah. So there was the assistant DA who has an interesting name, Loyal C. Kelly. Mm. Uh, he was absolutely certain that Sanford Clark was innocent and he was a victim, that he did not willingly participate in these crimes. So he said, all right, we're going to sentence you to five years at the Whittier State School, which had a, quote, compassionate mission of genuine rehabilitation. After two years, the trustees were like, Dude, you are so impressive. We have seen you out there. You are crushing it. By that, I don't, don't, it. don't say crushing yeah, it. Not that. <laughs> You're doing very well. <laughs> You're doing very well. Well, I saw you twitch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean. I didn't mean it. Um, so yeah, they they released and they commuted his sentence to 23 months, and he went on to serve in the army in World War II. Scott has a joke. I can see it. Do I, it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just I picture them. You're crushing it, and then like just he goes blank. And you see, like, behind him, the picture of him crushing the burned oh. skull. It's like, just like, just, just like, oh, the flashbacks yeah. and everything. It's just, oh, fuck. You made it visual, and that made it worse. I know. And I started this. I know. This is all your fault. <laughs> I know. I do blame myself, and also you. I'm good with that. Just so long as you're the catalyst. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> So yes, he uh, Sanford Clark served in the army in World War II, probably the Canadian army, I assume. Um, he uh, got married and adopted two sons. He made it to age 78 in 1991, whereupon he died in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Oh, hold on. We do have a question. Was crushing it a Shakespearean compliment? No, uh, the headless Mexican, supposedly the head was burnt and then crushed with a fence post. So that is the crushing it reference. Mm. <laughs> Which is uh, a lot grimmer than any sort of cutesy Shakespearean insult. Even that, if that Shakespearean insult came from, like, I don't know, Richard. <laughs> Richard II. I think it's Richard II. Um, so, yeah, that is all I have. You guys have anything else? Boy, you, you, you ladies were thorough. I, <laughs> I felt completely fucking useless this week. Okay, so that has been the Wineville Chicken Coop murders. Um, so, yeah, that was a crazy time. I feel wholesome was, and pretty. Yeah, I feel clean and not at all in the need of seven showers. I and, really want uh, eggs. Brain bleach. I want, I want brain bleach. Brain bleach? I want eye bleach, brain bleach. I want some pictures of cute kittens and unicorns. You know what you can do, guys? You know what I would really like? After this episode airs... We can all share in the, in the trauma and share in the healing. So post uh, to our Twitter, uh, to our Facebook, to our Reddit, to our Instagram. Uh, send us some, some nice eye bleach, brain bleach. Send us cute pictures of puppies, kittens, unicorns, sloths. I love sloths. Lemurs. Lemurs are awesome. Um, maybe not kittens because we were just discussing kittens eating you. Yeah. Maybe not kittens. All right, so maybe not kittens. It's really hamstringing this effort at healing. All right, kittens are fine. <laughs> 
Which is weird because kittens usually go right for the hamstrings whenever their owner dies. Just don't put a word bubble on it that says, I'm hungry for Scott. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. What? (laughs) You guys gave me weird looks like that. Well, I think that... It was in keeping. That would be more of a pickup line, I think, for Scott than a threat. From a kitten's mouth? Not what is wrong with you? Mouth. Not from a kitten's mouth. <laughs> I will kink shame that. Yeah, I will kink yeah. shame the hell out of that. As well, it should be deserved. <laughs> all right, moving on. So, yes, we are old-timey crimey in all of those places. Uh, so send us some, some cute pictures of something that isn't going to eat Scott. Um, and we will really appreciate it, and we'll all share in the healing. You can also leave us a five-star review and uh, on iTunes and tell us how much you enjoyed this episode or just, you know, what your, your favorite uh, cute uh, eye-bleach, brain-bleach animal of choice is. Uh, and uh, tell us if we crushed it. Tell us if we crushed it, yes. Not again! <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we're also, um, uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. You can come there, you can be a gumshoe, you can be a flatfoot, or you can be a private dick. dick. Amber's never going to sing along. never going to happen. Never going to sing along. We have to get her real drunk. (laughs) Real drunk. Um, So we have to get her, like, Wisconsin accent drunk. (laughs) I know you're better these days. I won't be able to drive home if if my accent comes out. Guess true. (laughs) <laughs> you don't even have to leave the room I have a bed so so yeah um, we you can come and support us that way and we have some nice benefits for you including our uh, old tiny crimies that are about 20-ish minutes long when we go into stuff that can't really fit a full episode but is still fascinating to us and also early release if you'd like and also some cute uh, business card templates so you can prove your uh... are these stickers? those are stickers Ooh. <laughs> and they're old school too. They're the original logo. So yeah, um, you can also uh, go to uh, PayPal and send us, you know, one dollar, two dollars, what is it, six dollars and sixty six cents? I don't care. Um, <laughs> at oldtimeycrimey at gmail All right, so thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I mean, as much as you can enjoy it. We hope you were fascinated by this episode. How about that? That works. We hope you learned something. Yes, we hope you learned something about a really horrible set of murders that happened and a really creepy family and some just really odd things that happened to some people and the way that this affected uh, other people's lives, like Christine Collins. So, So thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. So my sources this week are uh, an article on Crime Museum, Wikipedia, of course, an article by Gina DeMuro on All That's Interesting, the Madeira Tribune, um, an article by Amanda Sedlak-Hevener on Ranker, and an article by Mara Bovson uh, from the New York Daily News. My sources for this week are Wikipedia, CrimeMuseum.org, TheOccultMuseum.com, And oddly enough, Ranker.com. Mine were the Riverside Public Library, the James Jeffrey Paul's Research Materials Wiki, a New York Times article by Cecilia Rasmussen, Daily News by Maria Bobson, and oddly enough, Ranker. (laughs) Everybody read that 13, (laughs) or sorry, 12 grim facts about the Northcutt family and the Wineville chicken coop murder. Yes! It got a whole bunch of new hits this week. (laughs) 